<laughs> sense of theme here. Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. Uh, thanks for downloading, listening to uh, the podcast of the Gary and Shannon Show. Now, if you want to listen to it live, you can do so every weekday from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. in the greater Los Angeles area on KFI AM 640. Or you can go onto the iHeartRadio app and just type in KFI and listen live, listen to old shows, etc. Make sure that you subscribe not only to this podcast and share it with all your friends, but the pre-post podcast as well, which is bonus content that we can't do on the air for legal purposes. This is the judge speaking. Yeah, Mr. And Mrs. Turpin, oh, here we go. Let me see. On or about January 15th, here we go. Through, including January 14th, 2018, in the county of Riverside, you did in fact commit a violation of Penal Code Section 237, Subdivision B, within the meaning of Penal Code Section 368, Subdivision B, Subsection 1, in that you... Willfully and unlawfully, by violence, menace, fraud, or deceit, violate personal liberty of John Doe, John Doe number one, who was then a dependent adult within the meaning of Penal Code Section 237, Subdivision E, and Penal Code Section 368, Subdivision E, Subsection 1. Yes. Mrs. Yes. All right, based on those questions and those answers, the court will find a factual basis. All right. Um, with that said, um, we will then come to sentencing. Uh, we'll start. Ms. Lowe, is there any legal cause to a formal waiver for judgment? Uh, no legal cause in so waiver. No legal cause so waiver. We've waited time for sentencing on the last two charges. All right. Um, then, Mr. Beecham, uh, under Marcy's law, is there anyone that wishes to uh, address the court? Uh, the victims or anyone on their behalf? Yes, Your Honor. Uh, at this time, we would like to have Jane uh, Doe, number four, come forward. Ms. Egonia will go back here. And at this time, cameras. Yes, cameras down. took my whole life from me, but now I'm taking my life back. I'm in college now and living independently. I love hanging out with my friends and life is great. I believe everything happens for a reason. Life may have been bad, but it made me strong. I fought to become the person I am. I saw my dad change my mom. They almost changed me, but I realized what was happening. I immediately did what I could to not become like that. I'm a fighter, I'm strong, and I'm shooting through life like a rocket.
Yes, Sarn. Uh, John, John Doe number two. Good morning, Your Honor. My name is um, Joshua, and I will be reading two statements today. Um, I will be starting with Jessica's um, statement. That's sister. Correct. I love both of my parents so much. Although it may not have been the best way of raising us, I am glad that they did, because it made me the person I am today. I just want to thank them for teaching me about God and faith. I hope that they never lose their faith. God looks at the heart, and I... And I know he sees theirs. Sorry. I pray often for them. I am doing well. I'm going to college full time. I have an apartment and I'm able to transport myself independently by bus, bike, or walking. We are not we are not supposed to necessarily understand God's will, but we are only to follow and trust in him. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than you in your thoughts, said the Lord. Isaiah 55.9 Never lose faith. You are one of his sheep and he is constantly watching Over his flock. Over his flock. Sorry. I love you. 
and I wanted you to know. P.S. God is all we need. The next statement I will read is my own. KFI and KOST HD2 Los Angeles. Describe in words what we went through growing up. Sometimes I still have nightmares of things that had happened, such as my siblings being chained up or getting beaten. But that is the past and this is now. I love my parents and have forgiven them for a lot of the things that they did to us. Since January, I have learned so much and become very independent. In June of last year, I learned how to ride a bike, and ever since then, I've been hooked and ride it everywhere, such as to school, store, or sometimes I just go on long rides because I enjoy it so much. I live in an apartment and go to a nearby college. I'm getting a bachelor's degree in software engineering. And um, after I get my bachelor's degree, I'm going to get a job as a software engineer and go to school part-time to get my master's degree. (coughs) I also have learned how to advocate for myself how to swim, how to eat healthy and prepare a balanced meal. I've also been learning how to manage money wisely. Thank you, Your Honor. Your Honor, there's uh, another, one of the Marcy's Law attorneys would like to make um, one impact statement. My name is Janet LaTourette, J-A-N-E-T-L-A-T-O-U-R-E-T-T-E. Um, this note is from Joy. I want the court to know that our parents loved each other and loved each of their children. People in Texas, even friends, said our parents were having too many children. Our parents didn't agree. They felt that God blessed them with all their children. So they kept away from the world and trusted God would guide them through life. Our mother wrote two small notes to our father. The first note reads, Always let God be in control of your life. We have a perfect life because God has always taken such good care of us. I am so thankful to God for this. I would love for us to pray together on a regular basis. Spend our time with God will make our life more awesome. The second note reads, Children are the most awesome gift ever. I've always known our precious and wonderful children are. When they are your own, it's even awesome. The best gifts ever. Through the years, things became more and more overwhelming, but they kept trusting in God. 
I remember our mother sitting in her recliner and crying, saying, she don't know what to do. She didn't want to use rope or chain, but she was afraid her children were taking in too much sugar and caffeine. The reason our parents didn't stop buying the soda was because father needed it for work. He would fall asleep driving and got in an accident. They didn't know what else to do. I believe our parents feared if they asked for help, they would lose their children. Our parents didn't know we were malnourished. They thought we all got the gene from our mother because she was so small. I remember mother saying, God has blessed us with healthy children. Our parents would get us pizza and Mexican food every other week, and sometimes more than once a week. Our mother would always tell us to let her know if we are still hungry, and she will give us more. Their first child went to a public school. They started noticing she wasn't really learning much, so mother started teaching her at home and saw a big difference. Our parents decided to start homeschooling all their children. It worked out good at first, but through the years it became very overwhelming. I believe our parents were afraid to put us in public school for many reasons. They felt that God put it on their hearts to homeschool. When we came to California, people treated us so much better, and people started telling us our family was a blessing. Our parents finally felt safe to start taking us out as a family. They got us annual passes to Disneyland and took us to see the Grand Canyon, Flintstone Park, Vegas, etc. Every year, from as far back as I can remember, our parents tried to give us the nicest Christmas they could. They would get us what we wanted, even if they couldn't afford it. They always tried to keep up with our birthdays every year, too. Closer to the end, things became more overwhelming again. I truly believe most of this was because our mother lost both of her parents in 2016. I feel like 25 years is too long. I believe with all my heart that our parents tried their best to raise all 13 of us, and they wanted to give us a good life. They believed everything they did was to protect us. If at all possible, I would really appreciate if the court would place our parents as close to the detention center they are in right now. So if we ever want to visit them, we can. Also, I want the two-year restraining order lifted, and I want to be allowed to talk to both my parents by phone. Thank you for hearing my statement. Um, not to address the court, Your Honor, um, we spoke in chambers about this. Uh, there are five letters from the minors uh, that uh, are being requested to be given to the defendants to read privately and then return back to them. We received those letters from uh, their uh, advocate, Rosemary Duran, um, and after today's proceeding, we'll allow Mr. and Mrs. Turpin to read those letters privately and then return them back to the DA's office, in which we'll return back to the minor uh, the Any objection to that, Mr. Evans? No, no. All right, then after the proceedings, we're going to All right, then, uh, Ms. Lowe, on behalf
behalf of uh, Mr. Griffin, is Listening to this uh, David and Louise Turpin sentencing underway, that was a statement right there from David Turpin. His attorney started reading it, and he picked up the end of it. Some of the kids had victim impact statements as well. We'll continue. This is from Riverside County Superior Court. And now Louise is about to read a statement. I really look forward to the day I can see them, husband, 
and tell them I'm sorry. I want them to know how special they are and how very proud I am of them. I pray for my children every day. I want to say again, I'm truly sorry. I am for everything I've done for them. I love them more than they could ever imagine. Thank you, Your Honor. Mark, not as to sentencing, Your Honor, with regard to the uh, criminal protective orders, I did provide the court with combination of the current protective orders with new protective orders for the uh, victims who wish to have a protective order. Uh, I reached out to all their advocates for themselves personally and, uh, and gave Your Honor the, the protective orders that they, they're seeking at this time. All right, and as well, Mr. Mark, we both uh, reviewed those protective orders and discussed with the clients. It applies to some, not all. There's also uh, differences with respect to the amount of time that you have explained that to your clients. I have that. Yeah, sure. All right, and Mr. and Mrs. Turpin, you understand that there are protective orders that the court is going to put in place today. Uh, those protective orders are going to be different depending upon who your child is, what they've requested in addition for the length of time. To the extent there is a protective order, in fact, that does preclude you from being able to have any personal contact, any contact by mail, in, in any sort of writing form, whether it be uh, email, text, or any social media, even through third persons, except as ordered by a court, where you may have limited contact. Other than that, the contact is excluded. Do you understand that, Mr. Kirkland? And Mrs. Kirkland? Yes. All right, so at this time, the court will terminate the previously ordered uh, protective orders and will sign the new protective orders as well. Speaker, uh, Matt, is there anything further? Not from the court, thank you very much. All of you should be heard as to sentencing. Mr. Yeah. All right, um, before I sentence both the um, defendants, um, when I um, received this case some time ago, and as the case has been pending in my court up until today's date, uh, there is one consistent theme that uh, goes through my mind. I think it was referenced earlier by one of the perfect children. And that is that children are indeed a gift. They're a gift to their parents, they're a gift to their family, to their friends, and they're a gift to society. Um, they're a gift to their parents in the sense that the parent should be joyful of firsts in their child's life. First day of school, first date, first graduation, first job, marriage. All of those things should be enjoyed by parent and child alike. But they're also a gift to society. We're good to society because we don't know what a child is going to do when they get through their schooling and seek their occupation. Maybe they'll become a scientist and discover a cure for some disease, or maybe they'll be a doctor or a first responder and save someone's life. Or maybe they'll enter the military and protect our country. Or maybe they'll just otherwise become a good citizen who uh, makes the world a better place. The selfish, cruel, and inhumane treatment of your own children has deprived them, your family, your friends, 
and society, and especially those of you, those gifts. Their lives have been permanently altered in their ability to learn, grow, and thrive. You have delayed their mental, physical, and emotional development. To the extent that they do thrive, here's from today that perhaps a couple of them are, it will be not because of you both, but in spite of you both. You have, you have severed the ability to interact and raise your children. You have created, that you've created and brought into this world. The only reason that your punishment is less than the maximum time, in my opinion, is because you accepted responsibility at an early stage of the proceedings and you spared your children from having to relive the humiliation the harm they endured in that house of wars. So any punishment that is given to you today will pale in comparison to the fact that you will not have an opportunity to spend your years with your children as a normal parent would. So the uh, disposition and sentencing with proceedings follows. Probation will be denied that it was a bargain for disposition. The sentence would be the same as to both defendants. As to count one, violation of Penal Code Section 206, torture, both defendants are sentenced to life with the possibility of parole with a minimum parole eligibility of seven years. As to count 24, both defendants will be that's a violation of child endangerment. Both defendants will be sentenced to the upper term of six years in state prison. That term is selected because it is the bargain for disposition. That term is to be served consecutively to the term imposed in count one. As to count 15, a violation of Penal Code Section 368B1, that being dependent adult abuse, the court was sentenced to defend both defendants to the midterm of three years in state prison by operation of law one-third of the midterm for one year to be served consecutively with all other counts. As to count 16, a violation of Penal Code Section 368 d one being the charge of dependent adult abuse, the court will sentence the defendant to the dependents to the midterm of three years in state prison. By operation of law, it will be one-third of the midterm or one year. That one year is to be served consecutive with all other counts. As to count 17, a violation of Penal Code Section 368B1, violation of dependent adult abuse, both defendants will be sentenced to the midterm of three years in state prison. Again, by operation of law, that would be one year to be served consecutive to all other counts. In count 18, a violation of Penal Code Section 368B1, dependent adult abuse, both defendants will be sentenced to the midterm of three years in state prison. By operation of law, that would be one year and that would be served consecutively to all other counts. In count 19, a violation of Penal Code Section 368, Subdivision B, Subsection 1, violation of dependent adult abuse. Both defendants will be sentenced to the midterm of three years in state prison. By operation of law, that would be one year to be served consecutively with all other counts. As to count 20, a violation of Penal Code Section 368, E1, both defendants uh, will be sentenced for dependent adult abuse to the midterm of three years in state prison. 
by operation of law that would be one year if you served consecutively to all other counts. As count 26, violation of Penal Code Section 273A, Subdivision A, Child Endangerment, both defendants would be sentenced to the midterm of four years in state prison by operation of law that would be 16 months to be served consecutively to all other counts. In count 27, which is a violation of Penal Code Section 273A, Subdivision A, Child Endangerment, both defendants would be sentenced to the midterm in state prison of four years by operation of law that would be one third the midterm or 16 months. That time is to be served consecutively to the time imposed in all other counts. In count 29, a violation of Penal Code Section 237B, false imprisonment of a defendant adult, defendant would be sentenced to the midterm of three years in state prison by operation of law that would be one additional year consecutive to all other counts. As to count 32, the court will sentence the defendant to the defendants to the false imprisonment charge under Penal Code Section 237B and the Penal Code Violation 368B1, false imprisonment of a dependent adult. Both defendants will receive the midterm of three years in state prison or by operation of law one year to be served consecutively to all other counts. In count 37, both defendants will be sentenced for false imprisonment, violation of Penal Code Section 236, to the midterm of two years in state prison by operation of law with one third the midterm or eight months as to be served consecutively to all other counts. And then finally, in count 39, both defendants will be sentenced for the false imprisonment charge, violation of Penal Code Section 236, both defendants will receive the midterm of two years in state prison or by operation of law one third the midterm of eight months as to be sentenced consecutively to all other counts. The total commitment then would be life with the possibility of parole with a minimum parole eligibility of seven years plus an 18-year determinate term, meaning the minimum sentence would be 25 years to life. With respect to credits, the court did receive from probation a memorandum, and that memorandum indicates credits of 461 days actual, 461 days 4019 time, for a total of 922 days. People wish to be heard on that. No. Ms. Lowell, Mr. Moore. No, no. All right, then that would be the order of the court with respect to credits. Court will further order that the defendant submit to Penal Code Section 296A for a DNA test unless they've already done so. As to victim restitution, the court did discuss with counsel in chambers and the request of the people would be to refer it to probation and for the court to retain jurisdiction. Is that correct, Mr. Fischer? That is correct. All right. As to both Mr. and Mrs. Turpin, this matter will be referred for actual restitution as to each of your children. Probation will contact them and any other interested parties to make determination as to what, if any, restitution is due and owing. If they find no restitution, they will be notified and the court will fix restitution as zero to any one of those children. If, however, there is an amount that probation believes should be set forth, then that amount will be provided to the prosecution, to your attorneys, and to you. If you agree with the amount that's being assessed, you can simply do so. If you disagree, you would have a right to have a hearing. You can't waive your presence for any hearing, if you wish, and allow each of the lawyers to conduct that hearing in your absence. 
Mr. Turpin, uh, you understand uh, the restitution order at this time, and uh, you wish to be present in the event of the hearing, or you wish to waive your presence? Uh, uh, I wish to be present. All right. And Mr. Turpin? All right, so if in the event there is a dispute as to restitution, both defendants will be ordered transported from state prison uh, to be present in the court. Matters referred to the Riverside County Probation Department for uh, determination of um, any restitution as to any and all victims. Um, as to the restitution fine under 1202.4 and the parole revocation fine under 1202.45, it would be the court's intention to impose the maximum given the number of years that the defendants are serving. However, under the recent case law, unless the people have some evidence to the court that they have the ability to pay, I'd be inclined to serve those two fines. Mr. At this time, as to both defendants, the court will impose a restitution fine under 1202.4 of the penal code of $10,000. A like fine will be imposed under 1202.45. Both of those fines are stayed pending uh, the defendant's ability, ability to be able to uh, reimburse the uh, state with respect to those sums. Um, the uh, fines which the court is going to... All right, I think we can uh, pull out of this. They're just going over some restitution logistics as is required by law. It is life with the possibility of parole for David and Louise Turpin, sentenced for imprisoning and torturing their 13 children. One of the uh, one of the most amazing things that you ever do as a reporter, and in this case we got to hear it uh, outside of the courtroom, but those victim impact statements, whether it's a case like this or a murder case or something, and to hear those two kids read the statements against their parents, but at the same time have... Uh, ask for mercy. Uh, they beg the court to not give their parents the maximums in each of these cases. And and in one case, one of the kids even asked for contact with their parents. One of the kids, the first that spoke, did say that they took their life, they took her life away, and she's now just getting it back. Yeah. And then the other two kids, yes, appealed for for mercy from the court. And we thought that that was going to happen. That there is a lot of Stockholm syndrome that's going to go on when it's your parents because you don't know anything else. You don't know that that's different. I mean, for the, you think about the Turpin kids, it's only been two years, two and a half years or so that they've even known that there was a life outside of the one they had. The parents, for their part, did apologize. Uh, David Turpin's lawyer had to read part of his statement because David Turpin was too upset. Uh, Part of his statement read, My homeschooling and discipline had good intentions. I'm sorry if I've done anything to cause them harm. Louise cried throughout this sentencing. She spoke for herself, saying, I'm sorry for everything I've done to hurt my children. I love my children so much. I only want the best for them wonder how much of it they actually realize and when that realization came to them. There was there had to be a point where in the process of the legal system that they've been in for the last, you know, year and a half here, that there that they've that they did something wrong. You know, they both said we thought we were doing the right things, we were trying to protect them, we were t- but the fact that you've got that many kids and all of this continues to sort of compound itself in terms of the uh uh, the, the pain that you inflict on these children, if there even if there even was a moment where the light went on and they said, "I, we let it go too far." I just I wonder how much that. of it was an echo chamber. 
that they yeah. just kind of cut themselves off from everybody else. And, and then you it, st- you keep cranking out kids. There and, had to and... be a degree of mental illness on both counts. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, we hope to hook up with Chris and Carlo coming up in the 11 o'clock hour, right off the top of the bat, actually, at 11 o'clock. Uh, he's in the courtroom now and will join us for more on this. But it is life in prison. For the two parents, the Turpins, who tortured their kids, they were only found out when one of the girls escaped last year, saying that her brother and sisters were chained up. And then we learned about the family that would only allow their kids to shower but once a year, and they were chained up a lot of the time and denied uses, uh, use of the bathroom as well. Uh, this is going to be a tough show because we're going to get right out of this and go straight into Columbine 20 years ago today. Uh, or 20 years ago tomorrow, actually. Um, but we'll talk about that. We'll try to sprinkle in some happiness between now and then. For example, Wolf Creek Restaurant Brewing Company, that's where we're going to be on next Friday for our news and brews. We're going to be out at the brewery, the tasting room out there. One of the greatest places to eat and drink in the Santa Clarita Valley for 22 years now. Um, so we'll talk more about that as we get a bit closer. Plus, also, we got money. We got money to give away. A thousand bucks. Here's how you can win it. Win a thousand dollars right now. Text the nationwide keyword talk, T-A-L-K, to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's talk to 200-200. And remember, if you win, they'll give you a call. If you don't pick up, they are going to move on. It's going to be a number you don't recognize, obviously. Your next chance to win is next hour. We're not doing that today. Put the drum. Put the drums away. Put the drums away. And your chance to win every hour here up through the Conway show. It's already going to be a trying day. And you're testing my patience. Drum circle! Drum circle! Amy King has the latest. Is that the theme from uh, Mission Impossible? (laughs) No comment. Okay. Gary and Shannon. All right. Trying to get this thing uh, under control here. We spent uh, just the first half hour of the show there listening to the sentencing hearing for David and Louise Turpin. 25 years to life. Just about what we expected, but uh, weren't quite sure if we were going to hear from the kids. And in fact, we did. So uh, Chris and Carlo is going to join us at the top of the hour. We'll talk more about that with him. Um, got word. We now know the worst, worst kept secret of all is that Joe Biden is going to run for president. He is expected to make his official announcement Wednesday. Well, it was, it was around this time, 20 years ago tomorrow, that Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris had already killed 12 students and a teacher and wounded more than 20 other people on that Columbine High School campus in Littleton, Colorado. It was 11.19 a.m. when the two of them, dressed in trench coats, began shooting fellow students outside the high school. They then moved inside the school where they shot and killed many of their victims in the library. And shortly after noon, they turned the guns on themselves. One of the uh, one of the weird things about this being the 20th anniversary is earlier this week, of course, the woman who was infatuated with a Columbine killing eventually went to Colorado from Florida and and shot herself. She had been she had prompted a series of school closures and lockdowns earlier this week, and it brought to mind a couple of things. Number one, she was 18 years old and was not even alive 
when the Columbine High School massacre happened in 1999. And it raised questions to me. Uh, I was talking with someone about it this morning. I wonder what sort of a consciousness my own children have about the Columbine High School, about Columbine, period. We all remember it because we were alive and we remember the images of seeing a high school being evacuated and kids running away from the school and police at the time not quite sure how to handle the situation. The training at the time was to stay outside until they knew what the situation was as opposed to what it is now, go in and neutralize the threat, whatever it takes. Don't wait for backup. There are lives at stake. And I don't know what the I don't know what kids in high school today know about Columbine High School. They may know the story that that was really sort of the first high profile school shooting that we all can think of it. I mean, there had been others before it, obviously, but none to that degree and none to the none that had happened in a situation where we were technically watching it live. I was in my first year of college in the dorms where nobody had a television. So there was like that one group television in Chasta Hall, you know, downstairs. Mm-hmm. But none of us. So, I, you know, as everyone, I'm sure, was watching this thing on 24 hour news. One of the one of the first stories where you were going to watch it round the clock because you wanted more and more information. I don't remember being obsessed with it and glued to my television the way I was later on when, you know. We had televisions. Yeah, it was a uh, for me. It was a weird story because I had just begun working in Seattle a few months before that, and the there was another reporter who had been there longer than I was. He had recently covered a school shooting in Oregon, and they sent him back to that town to sort of get reaction. Hey, this happened to your school a few months ago, and I got sent to Colorado. So I was on a plane before any of the coverage even ended, before we knew anything about a death toll. I was on a plane to Colorado, and I landed in Denver, I don't know, midnight, 1 o'clock, something like that, and ended up in uh, the parking lot, which is adjacent to Columbine High School, where all of this happened. And then, look at my what? My phone screen. Okay. I'll look at it just a second. So I was in Columbine High School or at the park next to Columbine High School um, within several hours of the shooting, etc. There's a Turpin presser. This is the uh, the attorney for I the children. I think they all are pretty much on the same page with regard to their parents. They understood what happened. They understand that there's been consequences. They have um, asked for the restraining order to be modified for different kids. Well, that's pretty normal at the end of a of a sentencing that the victims have the right to have the the restraining order in place, and uh, our clients uh, each weighed what they would like, and they each told the district attorney what what their wishes were, and those vary from. Some who say, yeah, when I'm ready, I want to talk to my parents. Not necessarily going to, but when I'm ready, I will. Others that, that really do not want to have any contact for 10 years. So it varies. How many of them are now living on their own uh, out of the, the group setting? Uh, well, I can only speak for, for the adult children. Right. And uh, the adult children are all in new situations. Uh, some are in apartments. Uh, some are in other kinds of accommodations. But they're all moving very quickly towards full independence. They are living independently, though? They are. They are. 
they most of them are living independently yes what we heard in court today um also kind of sounded like an extreme form of forgiveness for their parents after what they have gone through and interacted with these uh, adult children what have you seen from them what have you learned from them through this process well there's so many things it's hard to narrow it down but i think the one thing that i've learned from them is that our clients are most of all survivors they're not victims uh, they not for one day have felt that they're victims they've always felt that whatever happened to them as bad as it is they're going to come through this and be independent good people and so i've just seen a lot of strength a lot of resilience and you know gosh you you heard the sentencing today you heard all the counts for our clients to be in a position of forgiveness that's pretty remarkable Uh, some are together, some are living separately. Can you say anything about their relationship with the younger siblings? Are they able to stay close? It's a very, very good relationship. Uh, our clients routinely see the younger siblings. It's really important for our clients to have a continued relationship with the minor children. They, Their objective is to keep this family together, uh, if not living together, at least close as a family. Why did these two particular those are the two oldest and I think they realized today that they weren't just speaking for themselves but they were speaking for their entire family well that's a good question I think our, our female client is, is around 30 and our male client is around 26. I may be off a year or two. I can't remember my own kids' ages, so I may be off a little bit, but that's about right. But those were the two oldest. Yes. Early on in the case, we were told that the, the children were not uh, aware of the international interest in this case. Did, did that change, and, and what was your reaction uh, to it? No, they became very much aware of all of you, and um, that was, and still is, a very amazing experience for them. One, they're very humbled that so many people care about them. That's how they, they view it, that people care about them and care about their well-being. At the same time, as I think you may have gathered from any of you who've talked to us before, they really, really value their privacy. And they do not want to give up their anonymity. They want to be normal adults going to Target, going to baseball games, going out and, and living their lives without people. All right, we're going to pull away from this, take a, a quick break. We will roll on this and uh, and talk about it more with Chris Ann Carlo, who is at the press conference and will join us coming up at the uh, 11 o'clock hour. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the kids who were actually at Columbine High School the day of the shooting, what they're doing today, including some who went back to the school as teachers. And we have so much to get to on the Columbine 20th anniversary tomorrow. We're going to go ahead and because of this 
Turpin sentencing and everything that gobbled up the 10 o'clock hour. We're going to talk about this at 1 o'clock, spend some real time on that day because you were there. You spent a couple days there in the aftermath. You know what I was watching this morning when I was looking at some of these interviews with people who uh, who have gone on and sort of had an interesting reaction, I guess, in their lives to what happened 20 years ago. These high school students who now, for example, are old enough to have families of their own how they react to sending their ki- their own kids to school. There was one um, anecdote that I saw. There was a, a girl, uh, a woman, sorry, in Denver who takes her kids to to class. And when she first started doing that, when the kids were in kindergarten, she would cry every day. She'd walk them to the, to the door of the classroom and then cry every day because she knew that there was there were hours in the day where she wouldn't be with them. And the teacher, the kindergarten teacher was conscious of that, uh, conscious enough of that and her feelings that she would text her pictures. She would just take a picture of the kid. Everything's fine. Oh, just to just to yeah. kind of assuage any fear that the mom had, which made it easier to get over her own fears of this. But but those are just some of the examples. We'll talk more about a group of kids who were in Columbine that day, April 20th, 1999, who then went back and became teachers at Columbine. Of the principal who was there, Frank DeAngelis, and talk about what he had to do to get through the next several years. And he had made a pledge, by the way, that anybody impacted by that by that shooting, whether it was the kids who were in the school that day, their younger brothers and sisters, whatever, he was going to stay the principal of that school until everyone was out. Everyone was out of the system. And he did. He he stayed there forever. Um, just recently retired. And then the the one I think that was the most interesting was Rachel Scott was one of the girls who was killed that day. And her brother was in the school. Her younger brother was in the school. Also injured, I, I thought. I think he was injured. Yeah. Um, there were two aspects of their story that made me, that, that amazed me. Number one was his mom, Rachel's, uh, Chris, I think his name was. Um, Rachel's mom, Beth, ended up meeting with Dylan Klebold's mother, Sue. Yes, there was forgiveness from that family. And there, you're going to hear a, a lot about that because there were a number of Christian families involved and affected by this. Yeah. You're also going to hear stories of people that went on to have eating disorders, drug problems, lives spiraling out of control. Which I think would probably be the most common reaction. Right. That there would be that much trouble involved, that some of these stories of you know, happiness after the pain were probably the more unusual ones. So we'll get into all that coming up at one o'clock. Up next, after Amy's news, Chris Ancarlo joins us. He was in the courtroom when the Turpins were sentenced for torturing their kids. We'll have all the details when we come back to Gary and Shannon. I know it's not mine, but I'll see if I can use it for the weekend or a one-night stand. Couldn't understand. Please stop singing Sugar Ray. <laughs> for all that is holy. 1999 is our uh, flashback Friday here. Hey, let's... We have been uh, just fascinated by the Turpin case out of Riverside County. David and Louise accused of child endangerment, child abuse, false imprisonment, adult abuse. That Their kids were basically cordoned off inside their home for so long and they just kept cranking out kids so chris ancarlo is on this story 
And uh, just before you begin, Chris, there were some comments about you on Facebook. Sue, oh, yeah? Sue wrote in, because I guess we, we, we put your name up there, like Chris Carlos there. He's going to join us live. And Sue wrote in, for years, I thought his name was Chris Ann Carlo, <laughs> like A-N-N-E, uh, yeah. which I thought was an inspired choice of a name for a boy. That's what she wrote. And then Rebecca wrote, Sue, I was just about to post something about his name, too. I was excited to see it in writing because I could never tell if Anne was his middle name or if his name was Chris Ann. <laughs> so, anyway. It's better than what Conway does to me, which treats me like two different people. Right. I find it amusing, <laughs> but I can see where you wouldn't. Well, not, uh, not, not, amusing, not amusing. Not amusing today where, in Riverside yeah, County. Exactly. What, so, explain to us. We talked yesterday about the, the, prelude, the prelude to this in that... There was an expectation even yesterday that one of the kids or more of the kids would speak, and in fact, we did get that today. We got uh, two of the kids uh, spoke, and then we also heard statements from uh, a couple of the other children. Uh, they were the adult children. The two that we heard from, one was 30, almost 30. The other one was 27. Uh, the almost 30-year-old, I mean, she looked like she, I, I honestly thought she was the 17-year-old when she got up there and spoke. Um, and yeah, as she walked in the room, I mean, you could just feel, uh, again, just this emotional burst uh, within the courtroom because she was seeing her parents for the first time. They were seeing her for the first time. Louise Turpin had been somewhat uh, maybe vapid or perhaps disconnected from the scene during the preamble to her walking out. But as she walked out, I mean, immediately you saw tears well up in her eyes, uh, the tissue going up repeatedly to her face. Um, and, you know, this, this woman, she got up behind the podium and, and she gave some remarks that I thought were, were powerful. And among the things that she said, let me just scroll back through my notes here. I haven't really had a chance to organize things. Um, she said that my parents, they took my whole life from me, but now I'm taking it back. Uh, she went on to talk about how she was in college and that she was plotting out a new course for, for her life and that, um, you know, that she saw how essentially her parents were trying to change her and she wasn't going to let that happen. Um, and then we heard from her brother. We now know his name as Joshua, 27-year-old. Um, and it, it was remarkable to hear his statement as well because he spent a lot of time talking about forgiveness, talking about... Um, God's plan and all of this and, and really just kind of speaking to, I think, a higher order than most people would have expected. I, 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 you know, if you're in this situation, if you try to put yourself in this situation where you've grown up your entire life and, and been fed what amount to a series of lies and have dealt with abuse that one of the children wrote in her statement that she still has nightmares about that abuse. And yet the ability for these children to show a sense of forgiveness was truly astounding. And I, it was a question that I asked of the, uh, the attorney representing the adult children, you know, how did that impact you? And he, I mean, even for him, he said, you know, this is the sort of thing that, that, that hits you so hard that the example of what these children were showcasing in the courtroom and, uh, and beyond and all their resilience through all of this, I think, which should be the story in all of this, because, you know, we talk a lot about the details of the horror of the, that house, but the fact that these kids have been able to find a way, you know, I mean, it's just such a testimony to the resilience of youth, but also the ability for, for people to find a new course in life after something so devastating you know to, um, to that yeah. end chris i thought it was interesting that that even uh, joshua when he was speaking 
was talking about the forgiveness of his uh, that he has for his parents. You know that he's able to forgive them. He talked about they were doing the best they could, or they thought that they were doing the best they could, and just the idea that you know they grew up, these kids grew up, all they knew about their mom and dad was, or, or I should say, what they knew about their mom and dad, they assumed was normal. They assumed yeah. that just about everybody else was living the same way they were. And I think also through the process of these statements, we started to stitch together a, a bit of a, I, it's not a different narrative, maybe an augmented narrative, uh, an amended narrative as to what happened as these kids talk about, you know, mom sitting in the recliner and just say, crying and she says, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I mean, clearly being overwhelmed, talking about their time in Texas where clearly the parents were overwhelmed and um, they had become outliers within the community. They had pulled back from the community because people were questioning why they were having so many children and, you know, the, the parents saying that it was God's plan and that basically let us do what we're going to do and uh, talking about the animus that had been felt until they moved to California and and suddenly they had been accepted in California, which, I mean, there, there's a certain amount of irony there as well. Uh, and now suddenly they were able to go to Disneyland and Universal Studios and you know, have Christmas and go to Vegas and do things that were more normal family-wise. And then in the, the written testimony that we heard from one of the children, she talks about how um, things changed again, though, toward the end. And she suspects it's because Louise lost her parents and that that, that perhaps set forth a cascade of depression that really uh, that made everything worse again for these kids and yeah i don't think and we heard it from the attorney representing the the adults i don't think that they think that any of this was okay they're going to take a long long time to get over this but again the fact that they're even justifying some of these decisions i think showcases uh, an enormous amount of forgiveness and resilience chris can you hang on for another segment yeah, sure. Great, because I wanted to talk to you about what you were able to observe in the courtroom. Uh, obviously, they cut the cameras when the kids were speaking, but we yeah. saw pictures of these kids uh, shortly after the story began to make the headlines. We saw them um, dressed alike. We saw them in weird, uh, maybe a renewal of vows in Vegas. And I just want to know, uh, they did not appear healthy in those photos and, and if things have changed. So we'll get more with Chris on that when we come back. Also, uh, we've got your chance at $1,000 as well on the other side of the break here. Gary and Shannon will continue it. Gary and Shannon, it's Friday, April 19th. It is life in prison for the Turpin parents, David and Louise, and we'll continue with Chris and Carlo, but first... Your chance at $1,000. Win $1,000 right now. Text the nationwide keyword VAN, V-A-N, to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's VAN to 200-200. Don't forget, if you win, they'll let you know by phone, but you got to pick up that call if you're going to pick up $1,000. Another chance an hour from now, every hour from 5 in the morning with Jonesy and Wake Up Call through the first hour of the Conway Show, we give away a thousand bucks an hour. Well, this sentencing was streamed live in the courtroom from Riverside, except for when the Turpin children addressed their parents and the judge as well, which is absolutely understandable. The last time that we saw these kids were in those eerie pictures uh, of them all dressed alike, I believe, wearing the same T-shirts, the same outfits, and. Uh, uh, 
Vegas impersonator ceremony, some kind of deal there. And they looked like they were malnourished. These kids did not look healthy, pale, thin, and the whole bit. Chris and Carlo got to see a couple of these kids today. Healthy, Chris? I mean, they, they look healthy. They look perhaps smaller than you would anticipate, you know, based off of the ages. In that, that 30-year-old, I, I was pretty convinced that she was pretty close to the 17 or 18 age range. Um, but, you know, they have put weight back on. And the attorney repping the adults, I mean, that was one of the things he said is that, listen, they've gained back their strength. They've gained back their weight. Um, and remarkably, they're healthy and they're learning to live on their own. And that's also what we heard in the statements is, you know, now I'm learning how to eat a balanced diet. Now I'm learning how to balance my, my checkbook. Now I'm learning how to use public transit to get from my apartment to college. The, these just like very basic things that I think a lot of people take for granted. These are new epiphanies for them. These are these are uh, it, it's a different course of life altogether. Um, one, one other thing, too, that I didn't mention in the last segment is that we heard from David and Luis for the first time in an extended sort of format as they both were able to give statements. And, um, you know, David's was remarkable because he, as he started, I mean, almost as soon as the first word came out of his mouth, he completely choked up and handed the paper over to his uh, public defender who then she started reading the statement. And, uh, and she got probably about a third to halfway through the statement and there was a, a point in that statement where, as she was reading it, David had written down, I wish my oldest son all the success going through college and moving on into a career. And he suddenly spoke up. He said, no, 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 I wish to amend that. And that's when he took the mic back and he said, I wish for all of my children who are in college right now, all of the success in college and all of the success in their career moving forward. And then he went on to say, for all of my other children who are... Um, other grades, I wish them the success in their education. Um, both parents saying, you know, they wish nothing but the best for their children moving forward. I and mean, just such a remarkable thing to hear, given the abuse that had been handed down by them. Um, and, it, you know, Louise, she was less emotional than David, and as she has been, I think, throughout the majority of these proceedings. Um, and she got up and you know, said also, you know, I, I love all of my children and I wish them the best. And even though we're not going to be there for you, I, I'm confident that, that you're going to be able to carry on your lives. Um, and just, I mean, for me, hearing that, I, I was stunned by what they were saying in response to what their children had said. Um, but I also don't know what you... <laughs> What what do you say in that situation? Yeah. And yeah, well, that's, that's speaking of that. Were you close enough at all in the courtroom to hear anything between uh, David and Louise and their public defenders? Because when we were watching sort of the pregame, they yeah. were having full on conversations with their public defenders, and I wanted to I wanted to know what in the world do you talk yeah. about with yeah. someone like I mean, Louise I, Turpin? Here's the thing: I, I know that they're they're explaining to them how the sentencing is going to go, what the sure. judge is going to say. He's going to go through what what the agreement was. He's going to go over the counts, and then the kids are going to come in. But that conversation lasts for seven minutes. That was like twenty minutes. And what are they what are they talking about? Well, I think part of what they were talking about was that they had to amend a couple of the charges. So there was a false imprisonment charge that had to be amended to a false imprisonment of an adult dependent charge. So I think part of that was they had to fill out the proper paperwork and basically withdraw that guilty plea for those charges and then put that guilty plea back down on the new charges. So that was at least part of it. The other part of it, I'm not sure. And it was a little bit bizarre. I tweeted, I tweeted a lot during this, but I tweeted about specifically this 
interaction between Luis and her public defender because from where I was sitting, about four rows back, looking at her, I couldn't hear what they were saying, but the demeanor was the sort of thing, like, just imagine yourself sitting in a coffee shop, and you're looking across the coffee shop, you know, maybe about 10 or 15 feet, and you see a, a couple sitting at a table, platonically discussing the news of the day, and that is exactly the, the demeanor that I saw for Louise as she was talking with um, somebody from her public defense team, and I, I found it so normal that it was bizarre, because I could only imagine, you know, I could never imagine myself being in this situation. But if you're about to hear from your children for the first time since you have been arrested for torture, false imprisonment, for all of these charges, and um, on top of it, you're about to find out whether or not you're going to go to jail for the rest of your life, I can only imagine just bolts of adrenaline rushing through your body at a, a continuous pace. David seemed to have been more conditioned in that style. He was he was seated as he had been seated through the majority of these proceedings, uh, kind of in the letter C, where his legs were kind of sticking straight out underneath the table and his arms uh, were on the table and he was hunched over the table itself uh, for much of it. Um, and the discussions that he was having with his public defense team were much more muted, much less animated, much less normal, which in its own way was more normal. Right. And um, it was and, more you know, expected, I found, found that, for sure. Exa- exactly right. Exactly right. And I, I found that uh, also a, a remarkable little scene. I mean, listen, I mean, you guys only have four hours on the air. I could go on for four hours about what I saw in that courtroom. It was it was stunning in so many different ways, and it was also expected in so many other ways. Um, and the, the I think the most remarkable thing about this is that... Oh man! Right when he gets to the most knowledge, it is 2019. Just say the most important thing I'm about to say. The most important thing of of the day, right now. Oh well. Good lord. They do have electricity in Riverside County, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, we'll try to find out we'll what that was. We'll figure out what the big yeah. thing was he was going to say. And Talk about a cliffhanger. I know. Way, uh, Chris is right. He was tweeting a lot, and we have uh, we have. He's friends with us, of course, on Twitter, but you can follow him as well, at Chris and Carlo, K-R-I-S, Chris and Carlo with a K, two Ks, actually, uh, and, and look at some of the stuff that he was posting from the courtroom uh, and covering this case. So pretty amazing stuff. Coming up next, we may start a small fire in the studio. Dean Sharp's going to join us with something called a router. Listen, uh, we... Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Which, you don't know what you know a what router is? is? No. It's right there on the table. That's what that is. You don't know what it does. No, I don't, I've never it. heard of All it. Right. I, hey, uh, next week, maybe we start a fire at Wolf Creek, shall we? Uh, our next news and brew, brews is going to be at Wolf Creek Brewery at Tasting Room out there on Rye Canyon Loop, the campus of the Southern California Innovation Park up in the Santa Clarita area. Now, Wolf Creek Restaurant and Brewing Company, one of the best places to eat and drink in the Santa Clarita Valley for 22 years now. In fact, April is their anniversary month. So, if you are up there in the Santa Clarita Valley, come on out, hang out with us. Also, check out Wolf Creek. Maybe you go for dinner, snacks this weekend. They have Easter reservations available now on their website, wolfcreekbrewingco.com. They also have uh, the daily specials up there, their desserts, all the brewery events and everything. And you can pick up a six-pack of Wolf Creek beer and a bunch of other restaurants and stores around town as well. So for more information on our news and brews coming up a week from today at Wolf Creek Brewery Tasting Room there in the Santa Clarita Valley, go to KFIAM640.com. Use the keyword gas. Gary and Shannon. 
so much going on today. This was a bad year. 99 was a bad year for music. <laughs> well, I told you about the Turpins who pleaded guilty to years of torture and abuse of 12 of their 13 kids. They've been sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years. The president says some statements made in Bob Mueller's report are fabricated and totally untrue. He's tweeting from Mar-a-Lago. You know what else he said? That it's the, the crazy... BS. He oh, spelled yeah. it out. Yeah, he used Oh, he whole, spelled it out on Twitter, thing. huh? On Twitter. Yes, that's a thing now. We're just... We're just swearing on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, far be it for me to call for decorum, but, I mean, come on. I swore, the I swore to... on Twitter for the first time over the weekend, but I was quoting someone. What do you mean? Oh, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You swore for the first time. Please. On Twitter. Got it. Uh, but then again, I've, all, I've said repeatedly of presidents in the past, I wish they would drop a BS or an F or an MF or a, something to show that they have some emotion. So I guess maybe. Well, I, didn't Obama say BS at one point? No, point? it was Joe Biden. Oh, okay. Joe Biden, oh, when he whispered to him. Obama said jackass. Yes. That guy's about a Kanye jackass. West. Yeah. Well, now your dream has come true in spades. I and guess. how do you feel about it? Well, I guess I we for the wrong thing. are going to be talking more about expletives in public policy life mm-hmm. coming up after Dean Sharp. But first, Dean Sharp is here. Ah, host of Home on sun- Saturdays and Sundays on starting KFI. starting not not tomorrow. Nope. Next Saturday, Saturday, wow. April twenty seventh. That's, That's right. Uh, we may do a preview show to celebrate that on Friday. That sounds great. At the News and Brews. That sounds great. Yeah, it's going to be fabulous. Yeah. So uh, from here on out, we're going to be 6 to 8 on Saturday mornings, 9 to 11 on Sundays. Excellent. Two Excellent. different shows. Twice the content now for the same price. What what we're talking about today is, uh, is a finish move, right? It is. Okay. What so the lesson, the lesson today, kids, is really simple. Very, very simple. Number one, uh, for the serious DIYer, the devil is in the details. And number two, there are, because the devil is in the details, there are uh, some tools that normally are associated with high-end woodworking that on a small scale, a serious DIYer might want to consider stepping up for uh, because it makes all the difference. Case in point. So just to add tension to the room, yes, we're yes. going to – and are we on uh, – what are we on here? Or it could uh, be Facebook. could be any one of those social media. Something. Do you know? Facebook, Facebook. We're doing Facebook Live yeah. right Barry now. Okay. And Shannon Page, so if you want to see – if you want to get the full pathos, yes. the tension in right. the studio, because uh, we're going to attempt to uh, get Shannon on a router. Wow. A router. Tell me what a router is. A router is a uh, little spinny tool right here. This it's is like a, a this chainsaw. Is, uh, no, no. Not, in no in no way is it like a chainsaw. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's more like a drill motor, and it has a a uh, a bit at the end. Okay, and that bit is designed for uh, making patterns in wood, cutting an edge on wood. So here's the scenario, right? You've been looking at Pinterest, and you saw this beautiful little curio shelf, and you said to yourself, "I'm going to go to the store you know and what? buy one. I'm, I'm going to go get a piece of wood and paint it up. I want a curio shelf just like that, right? Mm. So you go and you get a little curio piece of wood, shelf. like this little three foot. Uh, what you got there? You know, is, one, that, uh, is that their pine? That's, there? This is your finger joint pine here, nice. right? Um, and you get out your sandpaper and you sand it all smooth, and right. you cut it all square, and you think to yourself. Okay, I'm done. I'm ready to go. But you would be wrong. Right. You want to you add some okay. flavor to that. Because uh, that is where the DIYer puts up the DIY shelf. But if you want this to transform magically into 
a full-on piece of furniture, you gotta then, add some then we stuff. take one more step. Okay. And that step is using a router to put what, uh, what we call an eased edge on the edge of this lumber. Because right now, this has got a really sharp, very super squared off edge to it. Now, a lot of people would say, yeah, well, I do that with sandpaper. I'll take the sandpaper and I'll, I'll uh, you know, kind of roll the edge over to soften it. Never looks really tight and even, okay? So we use a router, all right? So I'm going to hook it up to the table here. Got it. All right. We're going to get Shan and ready to go. So Dean's going to clamp it to a table. You want to make sure that that, that board's not going to move uh, when you're putting it on there, and you just got a couple of... Uh... And by the way, the you know, when I say router, there are lots of kinds of routers in the world. I've right. got a router table. I've got a $300, very large, what we call a plunge router. What I'm talking about here, this little uh, Makita that we're using, really powerful. After I bought this, I was surprised. I probably do 90% of our routering work with this Just with little, little guy right and here. And that's a little handheld one. It really is, and it, but it's got a lot of power to it. And because it's handheld, uh, it's that much easier to work with. Sure. $89. This is an $89 full professional tool. Okay? So, Shannon, uh, step up here. Here we go. Step up. I'm a little nervous. Okay, so you're going to put your, uh, you're going to hold it in your right hand. You're going to excuse me because I'm going to guide you through this, right? We're going to set the table right on the wood just like this. Gary can give us the play-by-play. So the router is down on that piece of wood, uh, which is about a, I don't know, it's about a half inch by about four or five inches. And then the table's moving just a little bit, but so as the... As the bit is spinning towards the end there, it's lopping off a good good section of that hard corner and sort of rounding okay. it off. What kind of Now feel that. Wow. Now that is That's the now cool. feel the other edge, right? Yeah, right? Isn't that a world of difference? Yeah. Now we didn't round looks- the edge. It's what we call easing the edge. It's a tiny little eighth of an inch radius. So the bit that you used uh, it, it is a little round bit, but but you're right in that it's not a it's not giant. It doesn't look like a a the circle or a semicircle. Yeah, no, yeah, no. And of course, there are there the the amazing thing about routers is that there are hundreds of router bits for them. We could put a fancy what we call an OG edge. We could have made the whole thing overly rounded, but this is just a little eighth inch radius. No one would ever say that the the edge of the shelf is rounded. Uh, but what it is is when you touch that that uh, the the corner, as it were, um, you don't get that sharp wood feeling. And by the way, that also makes the shelf last way longer because oh, that because that it. point is is really vulnerable to um, nicks and dings. And now it's just kind of rounded over and smoothed over. So it doesn't look like you just pulled that piece of wood off of the. It's the not blank, raw anymore. Yeah, now that has a furniture finished yeah, edge. It's finished. To it. What would you say you use the router most for? Uh, that th- this router has this bit in it right now because for the last week and a half, I've been cutting door jams and making my own casing for our own remodel at home, and mm-hmm. that is exactly what I've been doing hour after hour, how, board after board. How much of your remodel are you handling yourself, or both of you? Uh, I mean, what would be the right thing to ninety five percent? Yeah, wow. I think we've hired out like two things. And how so long far. has this been going on? Six months. And and you're on schedule. Yeah, we're we're probably three months out from being done. Done. Does it add still... more stress? Does it add more stress? Yeah, like are you still speaking to get to each other? Oh yeah, no, that's not an issue. Okay. We're we're used to this kind of thing. Because oh. your wife's nodding, and you said no. Yeah. Oh, does it add stress? 
No, just yeah, it just stress adds, in general. You know what? The the trouble, and this is true of every remodel, no matter what. You have to have, and we live in a very small house. The the most stressful part of a remodel, if you're going to live in the house while it's happening, is, is pooping l- in the bucket. It, okay, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm that's sorry. Not, no, that's no, not it's real. finding it on what you're remodeling. But go on. Finding, uh, you know, because daily life goes on, work goes on. You still need a place to come home and decompress. Yeah. And when it's covered in like a half an inch of dust or <laughs> or we've been crowded into this one small back bedroom that we kind of set up as a proxy living room for the last six months, that that gets you. When you're in there yeah, with like four tiny. dogs, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. it gets a little, little I got much. a kick out of your kitchen that was moved into another room. That yes. Was, we was have a temporary creative. kitchen set yeah. up with plywood right now. Very so, creative. Yeah, it's all coming soon. Well, uh, good So job. this weekend, what's coming up on the show? This weekend, the Sunday, is about decluttering and organizing the house. And I'm going to review uh, the, uh, what is the name of that book? The Marie Kondo. Oh, Marie Kondo's Spark book. Joy. Yeah. Yeah. Spark Joy book. I'm going to give you my take on uh, whether I think that book Brings me joy, or whether it ends up, uh, I'm, you know, at the bottom of a birdcage, soaking oh, up. I can't other wait things. to hear your take so, on that. There you go. <laughs> All right, Dean. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Dean Sharp. Of course, you can hear him on Sunday, and then starting next weekend, you'll hear him Saturday and Sunday. I'm so glad he helped me through that. I was worried. Coming up, one of our favorite topics: expletives in the public. Gary and Shannon. No, you don't want nada. None of this. Six gun in this. Brother running this. Buffing no soldier. Look, it's like a terrible music. This is really the bottom of the barrel. For 1999. Specifically requested by Nick Because it's his This song is. That's a lie. I don't believe it. It's not my favorite, but I did request it. Really? Yeah. You know what? I've been profiling you incorrectly. Did you not hear the <laughs> wicka wicka wow at the beginning? Did you not yeah, hear no, that? Yeah, no, I heard it from 1999 yeah. Yeah. until oh. now. We got Mambo number five coming up. No, we don't. We got uh, Smooth by Santana. No, Live why are you Loca. ruining And uh, Rob Thomas, Live in La Vida Loca. Uh, These are the hits. I'm going to go home. These are, the are the hits. These are the hits. These are not the hits. Play, there, had, like, there had to be something else. Kind of growing on me. Yeah, just so everybody realizes, this is the music that plays in Nick's head. This should te- this should terrify you. Yeah, well, especially because Nick's in a band. Yeah, how do you how do you play music with this in your head? How do you put your leathers on and play this? Well, I don't think anybody. I make it happen. She said yes. Who said yes? Never oh, mind. never mind. Just that was a good one. <laughs> well done. Well played. All right. All right. I love this story out of the uh, the L.A. Times. The L.A. Times writes it this way: For decades, the weekly meetings of the Board of Supervisors have been family friendly, orderly affairs. Let me add to that. The most boring s yes. you will ever sit through in your 100%. life. Especially long winded speaking just for the sake of speaking comments from supervisors. For hours. And it's it's worse if you have to go. I mean, there are people who go because, you know, they have something that the... the that they care about. Yeah. But if you're a reporter uh, and you get assigned to cover the Tuesday Board of Supervisors you meeting... You pray for a car accident between yes, here and downtown you LA. you do, because your item usually is not going to come up to like 2.30, 3 o'clock, and you're there from like 9.30, 10 o'clock on, and you've got to listen to Mark Ridley Thomas 
wax poetic about, you know, a, a, a freaking about anything parking barrier i mean it is is a terrible affair well so this was good news the way supervisor sheila kuehl refers to it now there has been a small group of uh people that have discovered that they can they can cause quite a stir in the otherwise humdrum life of five county supervisors by swearing quite a bit she refers to it sheila kuehl does as a gauntlet of foulness I like that. Can we start calling our show that? The Gauntlet of Foulness. The LA Times went through Board of Supervisors meeting transcripts for the last three, three plus years, and they counted the number of expletives per 10,000 words. And for the last three years, it appears they've just really bubbled under. I mean, maybe you get uh, one one expletive out of every 10,000 words spoken. And now they're saying that as of April 2019, they're counting 4.7 expletives per 10,000 words. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but if, trust me, if you're at one of those meeting uh, meetings and someone drops a, a MF or a, a C or a D or a P or a, a double bird finger to the uh, Board of Supervisors, you're going to pay attention. And... I know that Sheila Kuehl doesn't like the gauntlet of foulness creating a really toxic environment, but it does kind of does kind of spice up the meeting a little bit, doesn't it? I've got a transcript here. Uh oh. Fifteen minutes to walk from downtown LA all the way to their expletive skid row. Now, God bless them. It's their dynamics. It is not mine. I am not a expletive junkie. I am not a expletive gangbanger. I am not a expletive expletive. And I am not a expletive crackhead or criminal. <laughs> I, like many other women, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that part. I didn't either. Dang, girl. Uh, good times. Good times. You know, Ooh. I've noticed uh, women swearing a lot more in public recently. You have. Well, listen. That's so amazing. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I I actually had a bit of a mishap happen this morning. What? In the office. You? Well, okay. So here's what happened. It was before 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. And usually business starts at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't expecting anyone to be in the building. <laughs> Okay. You mean other than co-workers? Other than radio people that expect to hear these things. Right. No, there were normal people. Yeah. In fact, there were normal children. Yeah. Yeah, I apologize. And what what flavor expletive would you say you dropped right in front of everybody? I said, as I looked down the hallway and saw John Thomas, John Thomas in the MF and building. And then you saw the children. But as our boss told me when I fully confessed, mm-hmm. don't worry about it, Shannon. They've probably heard worse on the Internet. We'll do our trending stories next on Gary and Shannon. One, two, three, four, five. Everybody in the car. So uh. come on, let's ride to the liquor store around the uh. corner. The boys say they want some gin and juice, but I really don't want to. Be a buzz like I had last week. Uh. I must stay deep because talk is cheap. 
Man, that song is... This would not exist in 2019. All those women that he says that he had? Uh-uh. Mm-mm. 1999 is our Flashback Friday. God, this is terrible. Terrible this, record. You said what? First year in college for you? All I remember from that year was the chickadee chicken song. The Chinese chicken. Oh, uh, um, I just remember naked that was like the song for the whole freshman year. Huh, we'll have to check and see. It if was that everywhere. Was hey, bottom of the hour, we're going to get into Swamp Watch. Uh, Mona Kosar Abdi is going to join us once again in Swamp Watch and talk about how the House Judiciary Committee Chair has issued a subpoena for the full thing, the whole kid and caboodle, the whole BS report, the way the president referred to it, the whole Mueller investigation, unredacted, is what Jerry Nadler wants. So we'll talk about that. In the 1 o'clock hour, we're going to revisit the story that we started to tell and got a little bit sidetracked with some of the the local stuff. But the look back at kids from Columbine. Tomorrow is the 20th anniversary, if you can believe that, of the Columbine shooting. And some of those kids that were in high school at the time, clearly old enough to have their own kids now, and some of the things that they deal with 20 years later, sending their own kids off to school. And then we're going to end on a much happier note, I promise. The I mean, nine news nuggets you need to Britney know. Spears had an album that came out that year. Let's play some Britney up in here. Oh, that's better? Yes. Mm, what else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Well, Chris Carlo was covering the Turpin sentencing for us from Riverside and joins us now for uh, an update. Chris, how did it go? Well, uh, yeah, the one big thing that I wanted to get across to you guys was the judge and what he was talking about when he came down to handing the sentence to uh, David and Louise Turpin. He wanted to talk about the fact that children are meant to be a gift to parents, to family, and to society. And basically what he said to David and Louise Turpin is that um, you have robbed society of the gift of your children, that if they succeed, it will be in spite of you, not because of you. He talked about the fact that Children are a gift to parents because of all the first, but then he talked about how children are a gift to society because they could be a doctor or, or a lawyer or they could go to, into the military or be a first responder and maybe offer up something that changes one person's life or maybe thousands of lives. And that through the actions that David and Louise Turpin pled guilty to, they perhaps robbed society of 12 possible outcomes. However, there's still the possibility that they could have a massive impact on on everybody's life. So it was a, a remarkable, I think, statement before handing down the sentence of what is essentially life in uh, in prison with the possibility of parole. And the first time they'd be available to come up for parole would be about 22 years and some change uh, based off of what I've been told. So we also heard from the, uh, the kids for the first time and just absolutely powerful statements as um, they offered up forgiveness, but also acknowledged the fact that now they had the opportunity to take their lives back and to determine the direction of where they would go into their future. And, uh, yeah, it's just an emotional scene all the way around in there. Good for them, Chris. Great coverage. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Another story that's trending today is uh, Lori Loughlin's friends apparently do not like her husband. 
That was an interesting story. Yeah, Us Weekly dug into the uh, the the gossip, I guess, surrounding the social circle, and they found out that everybody feels bad for her. They think the situation was something concocted by her husband. Uh, they they will they will say that that Massimo Giannulli, uh, he's been married to Lori Lachlan for twenty one years, was never a favorite among her friend group. Uh, that he was the mastermind behind all of this, the guy who concocted the scam to spend a half a million dollars on Isabella and Olivia to make it look like they were recruits on the USC crew team, despite the fact that they'd never sat their boats, their butts in a row in a rowing skull. Kim Fox is back in the news, of course, the prosecutor who was at the helm when they decided to drop the charges against Jesse Smollett for that hoax story. Looks like a couple people are resigning from her department, including the chief ethics officer, as well as the head of the Conviction Integrity Unit, both resigning from the Cook County State Attorney's Office. By the way, uh, she was not very complimentary of Jesse Smollett in some of those text messages that came out. No. Referred to him as a washed up actor. So, I mean, it wasn't that she was trying to cover for this guy necessarily, but uh, awkward. Have you uh, heard about the Peeps pizza? No. Why would you go and screw up a pizza? This is a classic case of genitals in the salsa. Remember the delivery guy who took a perfectly good bowl of salsa and put his genitals in there because he was upset over his tip? (laughs) Why would you want to put Peeps on a pizza? The pizza's perfectly fine. You don't put sugar marshmallows on it. Why would you want to put salsa on your channel? <laughs> okay, you've got to get it together. Because if you lose it, I have no chance. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, peeps on pizza, okay. huh? <laughs> I just pulled something. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> You're done. Peeps on pizza. Uh, Martha Stewart tried it. Bobby Flay tried it. Other other celebrity uh, cooks have tried it. And Why? Are Why pe- would you do this? I guess they're like they're gagging when they eat it. Of course they are. A marshmallow with sugar on top of it and crusted in it on a, a, a piece of dough with cheese and you know mozzarella and what sauce. You've been saying for the Pepperoni? last week about people. You're making me hungry. I people. Know. Who talk about Game of Thrones? Either they watch every episode, they can't handle it, and they're freaking out because oh they have really to talk about it. They have to talk left. about it for twenty hours a day. Or the people who don't and mm-hmm. like to lord that over people. Yeah, I feel that way about peeps. Yeah, it frustrates you know what? me. You're so right. It frustrates peeps me. Peeps like, are another thing. Have you tried peeps in the microwave? Have you tried the green peeps? Have you tried the purple peeps? I don't know. I've have never you had tra- a peep before. Have you tried leaving them out for a day? Uh, have you tried not talking about them? Charlize Theron uh, confirms her daughter is transgender. Her daughter's seven. Did you know what your kids' uh, choices were at seven? Not a choice, Shannon. No, I know. They That's you're right. That you're right. 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 Um, <laughs> I really am going to go home. <laughs> no, here's the thing. I never once asked my child how they identify. And if I did, I would not do that when they were seven years old. Charlize says, my job as a parent is to celebrate them and to love them and to make sure that they have everything they need in order to be what they want to be. 
And I will do everything in my power for my kids to have the right and to be protected within that. Yes, 100%. 100% yes. But your kid is seven. Seven. They were born who they are and exactly where in the world both of them get to find themselves as they grow up and who they want to be is not for me to decide. That is 100% correct. Then stop talking about it to the entire world. The entire world is going to make decisions based on what you have said about your child. Are you still ranting about this? I'm just saying, stop telling everybody what your seven-year-old's business is. All right, coming up next, remember the woman that sent 159,000 text messages? Speaking of sane people... We've got an update. Uh, She wants to go to trial because she thinks it'll result in this result. We'll tell you all about it when we come back. Also, a thousand bucks we're going to give away. Damn right. Gary and Shannon. A reminder, news and brews coming up a week from today. We're going to be live at Wolf Creek Brewery out the tasting room. Southern California Innovation Park out on Rye Canyon Loop in the Santa Clarita area. Now, Wolf Creek has been one of the best places to eat and drink in the Santa Clarita Valley for 20-plus years. In fact, April is their anniversary month, celebrating 22 years this month. And... I don't know if you know this, but Wolf Creek does a lot of community work up there in the SCV. They have a community pints program where they partner with a different charity every month to raise money and awareness. Uh, You can also buy Wolf Creek beer in the restaurants and stores up there. And by the way, at the tasting room, at the brewery and tasting room where we're going to be, they do something called Pay It Forward, where you can drop down a little bit of cash and put somebody else's name up there so that when they go in, they get a beer on you. I love that. Cool things. That's first so place fun. I ever saw that. Oh, no. It, they do it at Bravery Brewing. I know, but the first place I ever saw it was at Wolf Creek. Oh, I see. The first place I ever saw it. Hey, we got a 1000 bucks to give away. Win $1,000 right now. Text the nationwide keyword BLUE, B-L-U-E, to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's BLUE to 200-200. All you got to do is pick up that phone when they call you to let you know you want a thousand bucks to pick up that thousand bucks. Otherwise, there's another chance an hour from now or an hour after that, all the way through the first hour of the Conway show. Well, this was a dating don't, wasn't it? The story of the woman from Arizona who sent a guy 159,000 text messages over 10 months. She had gone out with him on a single date. She had met him on an online millionaire dating site. And they went out on a single date. And then the text message flurry began. She uh, texted him things like, I'd make sushi out of your kidneys and chopsticks out of your hand bones. That's game. (laughs) Does that get you you fired up? Oh, no, I think the bloodline would... Oh, what I would do with your blood, I'd want to bathe in it. That's what gets it. That's Marion material right there. Interesting that you say that. She wants to go to trial for this because she thinks the jury will clear her and order her to marry this guy. On the way to prison, she told the officers 
He said to me, go away for the last 16 months. And I couldn't because the more I loved him, the more I learned about the secrets of the universe. She was at one time abducted by Walt Disney. Hmm. Um, well, which makes sense. Everybody knows Walt Disney is a member of the Illuminati who also owns his own spaceship because he's rich. Listen to this dating service. It's called Luxie. Calls itself the best luxury millionaire matchmaker dating app. And Luxie can only be accessed by those who earn more than $200,000 a year or if they are voted in by other members based on their attractiveness. Ugh. (laughs) So are you saying you would never be part of a club that would have you as a member? No. The the original deal, by the way, um, would have allowed this woman, Jacqueline, to be released from prison with time served. She would have been on probation for 10 years and forbidden from contacting the man. But she refused the deal. She said that it wasn't real and that the man was simply testing her resolve through all of this. Because nothing says love like 500 text messages a day to one person. What do you think? Well, they're both pretty bad, huh? What? Well, what if she had just sent those two text messages? The, I want to eat your kidneys with your chopsticks made out of your fingers, and I want to bathe in your blood. Or the fact that there was the volume of 159,000. And that's amazing, because if those were the, those were probably the ones that made sense. Like, I, I know what, I know what making sushi out of your kidneys means. There's got to be some in there that are just nonsensical. Right. Like, I was having a conversation with Walt Disney in his spaceship the other day. We got a text message like this uh, a couple days ago. Yes, we did. I wonder if it was her. We get weird. I don't even know. I don't know how people get that access to that. That happened. (laughs) The Swamp Watch. When we continue, we'll talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C. And check in the latest uh, Congress trying to get their hands on the unredacted Mueller report. All of that is coming up. not Britney Spears, but it's Christina Aguilera. You shouldn't say their names in the same sentence if you remember 1999. Well, there was a feud between them? Well, you know, they were both part of the Mickey Mouse Club, I believe, with Justin Timberlake. And Annette Funicello. uh, And they launched their careers around the same time, you know? So there's some jealousy. Some, uh... And then, and now they're both almost 40. Wow. I'm just saying... And they still look great, and they still put on a great show, and 40 is the new 20. Not- <laughs> and let's go into Swamp Watch. Sorry. I didn't realize I was getting so close. It's hot in here. Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Hey, P.S., we are not doing 40 jokes for a year and a half. That's too long. We might not, but I will. It's not too long. 
That's a long time. Because whenever I say it, you get sort of a dead look in your eyes. Because you said that it's going to be big changes afoot. Are we going to start tallying up how many old jokes you've made about me? Let's have have a truce. A truce? A ceasefire. In Washington, D.C., we now know... Joe Biden is going to run for president. CNN, Fox, MSNBC, is everybody's reporting that next week is going to be the time that Joe Biden officially declares that he is going to run for the Democratic nomination for the presidency, that he's going to make a, a candidacy video announcement next Wednesday. Clearly, he made the decision a long time ago. Uh, it, it has been trying to figure out for him, perhaps, the best I don't know, sales pitch. And then all of that probably got derailed a couple of weeks ago when people started talking about Uncle uh, Creepy Uncle Joe and his handsiness and his uh, hair enough sniffing. Enough time has and... gone by, though. Enough time has gone by with that. People are not talking about it anymore. Right. But in the moment, we thought, oh, boy, this might be the thing that... No, right. no, no. You need to let things breathe a little bit, and sometimes they get buried. He said in... Uh, he said in in March, my intention from the beginning was if I were to run, I would be the last person to announce. So I'm curious as to see what this does with Bernie Sanders and the money that he's been just raking in. Well, it, that is an interesting question because Ber, because Bernie is clearly running on far left, right? I mean, he's got the progressive edge of the Democratic Party, whatever fraction of it you think that might be. Joe Biden is probably as weird as this sounds, one of the more moderate Democrats that would be running for president. So there's a vast swath of America that is not represented by by either political party right now. And if he can reach over and say, listen, I have military service in my past. I lost a son recently in military. You know, he didn't die from his military service, but he was active when he when he died. He's kind of the other way from where we are now. As NBC News said, he could be the antidote to the chaotic Trump era. And his long track record features support for for policies that are important to the Democratic electorate. He authored the Violence Against Women Act, helped pass a ban on assault weapons. He embraced same-sex marriage even before Obama did. He was the lead author, however, of that 1994 crime bill that was responsible for increasing the nation's prison population. Yeah, it's not that he doesn't have things that Democrats can target. He voted for the Iraq War. All of that stuff is going to be fair game when he gets into these debates that start at the end of June. The, the thing is, there are plenty of Republicans I know who have said they would vote for Joe Biden over a second Donald Trump term, depending on how things go for the next year and a half. I mean, we're still 600 some odd days away from the election. So we've got there's a lot of air between now and then. Well, Trump was all anti-establishment, drain the swamp, the whole bit. Right. Biden's somebody who's steeped in Washington. He's been there for 500 years. And he has said, listen, I know how I'm going to be running, which is as an Obama Biden Democrat. He's going to invoke the name of his president for for everything that he can, whether that's fundraising, whether it's policy approval, whatever it is, as soon as he gets Barack Obama's nod, he's, I think, going to be the guy who gets the nomination. I don't I, I can't see Obama 
giving his endorsement to anybody else. Again, there's plenty of time between now and Election Day, even plenty of time between now and the conventions. I'm just wondering who has not been snatched up yet in terms of campaign staffers, because he's going to need them. He does not like fundraising. He doesn't have any money to his name right now. So he's going to have to have some some big names committed to his campaign. And I wonder if people like Donna Brazil, who is currently working on Fox, I mean, she's she's got a day job. If she was she or somebody of that caliber just says, you know what, for for Joe, I'll do it. For Joe, I'll drop everything I'm doing. I'll put my law practice on hold or whatever I'm doing and go work for Joe Biden because they believe in that message so much more than anybody else at this point. There was an anecdote about him and how much he hates fun, uh, fundraising written in a, in a book called The Unwinding. And apparently he resented any demands placed on him by the people who helped him raise money and the people who wrote checks as if he couldn't stand owing them. He didn't hang out with the permanent class in Washington, but left his Capitol office every evening, walked across Massachusetts Avenue to Union Station and took Amtrak home to his family in Wilmington. Remaining ordinary Joe became a point of aggressive pride. He was as incorruptible as he was ungrateful. I think that that's attractive to a lot of people. Sure. That he's not going to whore out for fundraising dollars. I don't know how much of it is believable. I, I feel like 535 members of Congress, whatever time you look at them, uh, 500 of them are corrupted by some amount of money. Yeah. But maybe he is within that tiny percentage that isn't. We don't know. Um, uh, the Nancy Pelosi European tour continues. She is in Ireland today and was asked specifically about whether or not Congress is going to launch impeachment proceedings against the president uh, because of what we have found in the Mueller report and the instances of potential obstruction of justice that were outlined in that report. And she once again punted on this. Uh, She did say whatever the issue and challenges that we face, the Congress will honor its oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution, to protect our democracy. The legislative branch has a responsibility of oversight of our democracy, and we will exercise that. But a bunch of other people had said, listen, we're not going to. That's a that's a third rail. We do not want that on our records going into the 2020 election. So coming up next, it looks like there will be major hearings on the Bob Mueller findings. All of the latest fallout. We're going to go live to Capitol Hill and get you those details when we return. Gary and Shannon will continue. <laughs> This is this is the jam right here. This is never the jam. Oh yeah, it is. Never. This is the jam in 2019. Mm-hmm. How can you not love this? This was a great album, start to finish. I feel like she was speaking to you in a way that is. Uh, I was. Like, we, we will never understand. I was 19. Yeah, exactly. What 19 year old? She was not 16 when this came out, wasn't she? No, she's 18, I think. Well, that makes it better. I don't know. Uh, At the top of the hour, we're going to revisit the story that's the reason for our 1999 Flashback Friday year. And that was um, tomorrow actually marks the 20th anniversary of the Columbine Massacre. We'll talk a little bit about 
uh, my trip, I was at Columbine a few hours after the shooting, as a matter of fact, to cover it and spent a few days there. But also what these kids who were in high school at the time, now mid-30s, late-30s, and they are, they've got kids of their own. And the issues that some of them have had to go through sending their kids away to school. Uh, we'll hear from one guy who actually his kids are too young, but he's already thinking about that day when he sends them off to kindergarten. He's had already had a rough time with it. Well, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee has issued a subpoena for that full, unredacted Bob Mueller report. Let's go live to Capitol Hill. And Mona Kosar Abdi joins us with all of the details. Mona, still a lot of talk about Bob Mueller there on Capitol Hill, huh? Oh, a lot of talk. Let me get my train of thought together after that Britney Spears. <laughs> took me back I mean, a little bit. It's good, right? It'll distract you. Uh, <laughs> Don't look into her eyes. But- <laughs> But yeah, the news on the Hill today is that Jerry Nadler has issued the House, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jerry Nadler, has issued a subpoena for the full Mueller report and any underlying documents. So if we thought that this was over the minute the attorney general uh, released the redacted version of the report, we were completely wrong because um, now they're saying that the redactions appear to be significant. Uh, Nadler is also saying that even with the redactions, there is disturbing evidence that the president engaged in obstruction of justice. And so he feels that he needs to see all of it. And again, to remind you, what was redacted was uh, anything pertaining to an ongoing investigation, uh, all the uh, any classified information and grand jury material as well. Well, being significant, is there a suggestion that there is uh, is there something withheld that the attorney general, for example, was responsible for? Or I don't understand what he means by the, the redactions were significant. Right. And he didn't elaborate on that. He just said that after reading it, um, they renewed their calls for the full Mueller report and any underlying documents that might be associated with it. He feels um, Democrats, frankly, are fed up with the attorney general. They felt that he put a political spin on this from the minute he was handed the report. Uh, They believe that his press conference was inappropriate and that he was uh, trying to shape political opinion before the report was even released publicly. And so now they're saying that not only do they want to hear from Mueller, because yesterday uh, the House Judiciary um, Committee sent a formal request for uh, Robert Mueller to testify in front of the committee publicly in front of the American people. Uh, So not only do they want to hear from Mueller, but now they also want to see more of this report. What's interesting is the attorney general said that uh, he was open to share the unredacted report with uh, selected congressional, uh, select group of congressional members. But I guess that's not enough because Jerry Nadler says that he cannot accept a proposal which leaves most of Congress in the dark. So is this just a way that, you know, are are Democrats just now just trying to drag this on and grab at anything? Or is it that they feel like they want to pursue uh, the obstruction of justice um, charges? What has been the White House reaction to this? What's interesting is obviously the you know the president came out uh, shortly after the report was made public and said that um, he was having a good day. He felt vindicated once more. It was a, a victory campaign. Um, same with Republicans. They said that uh, the American people now want to move on. It's time to move on and put this in the past. But what was interesting is that uh, this morning the president brought up the Mueller report through his tweets. He called it uh, the crazy Mueller report and um, lashed out uh, about some of the damaging information that came out. And 
what was also interesting is his campaign sent out an email yesterday and the vice president sent out a statement that uh, mirrored each other. And they were saying they were basically insinuating that now they want to start an investigation on the investigation to see if the origins of the investigation were even lawful. And um, in the campaign email, the Trump campaign email that was sent out, they quote the attorney general who said last week uh, when he was on Capitol Hill that he wants to set up a group to look into if the FBI spied on the Trump campaign. So you have the Trump campaign saying that, you know, that this was an illegal investigation, a witch hunt, and that they were spied upon. Well, you're going to have a tough weekend going through 448 pages, aren't you? Uh, I just read the Cliff Notes version. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mona. I'll wait for the movie to come out. (laughs) Thank you very much. Mona Kosar Abdi there from uh, from Capitol Hill, the latest on this. It's, and I don't think this is going to get any – this is not going to lose speed over the weekend, that's for sure, um, in, in terms of people going through this report, finding new things. I, again, I, when the stuff that I have seen from it, I'm not going to say I read the whole thing, but I haven't found a whole lot that I go, oh, my gosh, I did, can't believe that happened. I yeah. feel like a lot of it we've already been exposed to And before. we knew that. Now, if it had dropped and we didn't know all of that stuff – that would be a different story. But, I, I mean, just the nature of, of the media these days, we get to see that stuff long before it's involved in a uh, special counsel's report. All right. Coming up next, we look back at 20 years ago tomorrow, the day that everything changed for high schools and security and parents' worst nightmares and all of it. Uh, Columbine. And where are those kids now? Next on Gary and Shannon. Hey, now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Only shooting stars. Oh, you're such a bad person. <laughs> if you guys only knew uh, what was happening in here. You could tell us. I'm doing no. an impression of somebody that we all know crying. I, I know now. Now you know who I am? Yeah. And then show you. <laughs> and this part. <laughs> now you get it? I get it. Okay. Move on. Hey, at the bottom of the hour, we're going to have a good time to end our Friday. We're going to talk about our nine news nuggets you need to know. Brought those things back, and they've been toasting in the oven to try to cover up the hamburger smell that's just permeated the hallways here in the Oh, Ken's going to be so pissed He's, at you. What are you guys eating? Vegetables? He's going to be pissed. Um, does Now, why does John eat French fries if they're vegetables? I don't know if John eats French fries. I know he eats burgers, but I don't know if he eats French fries. Hmm. I've never seen him eat a French fry. Uh, we A couple of news stories. Uh, obviously, we covered very early today the uh, the Turpin family trial. David and Louise were sentenced today basically to life in prison. They will be eligible for parole, but 23-plus years from now. This, of course, goes back to the uh, horrific conditions under which they kept their kids for so long. Uh, child endangerment, abuse, uh, adult abuse, false imprisonment, all of these cases. Or, I'm sorry, all of these charges. Um, and they decided that they would plead guilty so the kids didn't have to testify. However, there were a couple of kids that uh, read their statements today for the witness impact statements, their victim impact statements, and then had a couple. Uh, there were two others that had their statements read as well. So that was a tough thing to listen to. Oh, speaking of tough, 20 years ago tomorrow is when those two teenagers 
arrived in separate cars at Columbine High School 10 after 11 in the morning. They walked into the school cafeteria. They put two duffel bags, each containing a 20-pound propane bomb set to explode in just seven minutes. They went back outside to their cars to wait for those bombs to go off. They failed to detonate, and that's when these two began their shooting spree. They were dressed in trench coats. They started shooting students outside Columbine High. Then they moved inside the school, where they shot and killed many victims there in the library. Twelve students and a teacher, and they wounded more than 20 other people. And then shortly after noon, the two turned their guns on themselves. And one of the weird things about this that we hadn't seen before in any sort of a school shooting was that we were able to see live coverage of this while it was going on. And this was really the first time because up to this point, most of the school shootings that we had seen were almost momentary. They were just very short in length, but that this thing dragged on for so long. Part of the reason was that we saw a police response that we would never see today. The police response of protecting the outside, trying to get all the kids out of the school, but not going in necessarily to neutralize the shooters. And because we didn't, we we being the society couldn't wrap our heads around a motive where the only goal was to kill as many people as possible. So that has changed, obviously, the way we handle school shootings, both as a society and specifically as law enforcement is very different than it was. And one of the things that we have seen is these kids grow up. I mean, we've seen these high school kids back in 1999 they're now in their mid-30s or so, and some of them have their own kids. Casey Rugsegger Johnson is a woman who lives uh, in Denver. She's a mother of four. And she says that she sees mornings as an opportunity now. She wakes up early, she makes breakfast, and tries to get a clear message before her kids leave home. And she says, I need them to know I adore them. I'm grateful I have the chance to be a mom. I know some of my classmates weren't given that opportunity. And she said she had a hard time when she was originally dropping her kids off of school. She would cry most of the mornings when they would get out of the car. And the teachers, understanding that they were, would text her photos from the classroom throughout the course of the day. Just just to let mom know everything was taken care of. Everything was cool. It's nice when you have people that are going to make allowances for tragedies that have happened in the past. Uh, one of the students I was reading about... <clears throat> Uh, When she went on to community college, she said she was given an assignment about school violence that she felt like it was all people wanted to talk about and talk about with her is Columbine and school violence and what had happened. And in fact, a teacher in one of her classes had given the class a uh, an essay to write about school violence and things. And and she says that she tried to get out of it. And the professor said something to the effect of, well, this is the assignment and you have to do it. Wow. That's another reaction. She was the one who said she went on to have an eating disorder, dabble into drugs, which was totally out of character, and that she had to go through a lot to uh, to to have to have a life and to and to have stability mentally. And she now runs a nonprofit to help victims of violence like this of shootings. One of the one of the things that we talk about in the aftermath of these events is the counseling the therapy that's going to be necessary for people and there was one guy a guy named josh lapp was a sophomore when the when the columbine high school shooting took place and 
CBS actually sat down with him. I think 48 hours it was, did an interview with him just days after the shooting. He's 16 years old. 20 years later, somebody from CBS sits down with him again. I'm going to play a piece of sound for you just because he was one of those guys who did not want to talk about it. He didn't want to watch coverage of it. He didn't talk to counselors, at least not a right away. And the first part of this soundbite is from that 1999 interview when he talked about what he was going through that day. And then the first time he watched it was 20 years later, last week, when the CBS guy sat down with him. And again, this is a guy named Josh Lapp, and he was a sophomore at the time. Oh, let me... Watch this. It's going to go much better. Um, I was waiting for a sharp pain just to hit me. Say, but 16. I would close my eyes, cross my fingers, and you know, talk to God. Some of it I remember, some of it I don't. 36. The um, sharp pain in the side. Why that, out of everything that happened, seems to stick out so much? Because that's what I really expected. Again, he wasn't shot. He was just saying he was expecting while he was cowering under the Bracing desk that he it. would be shot. Yeah. Um, and then Josh's dad also talked about what he remembered. Again, rem- because you, as a, as a parent, when I cover stories like this, I wasn't a parent at the time when I was there at Columbine. But, but as a parent covering these stories, I struggle with the what would I do if this was my kid's school? And this is Josh's dad talking about it. It's hard saying that your 16-year-old son should see something that nobody should ever see. We remember that day like yesterday, or I do anyways. Now, there's a couple There's a couple more people I want to introduce you to, uh, a handful, I should say. When we come back, we'll talk about the four kids who were there that day who all went back to Columbine as teachers. And then Beth, uh, Beth Scott. Beth Scott's daughter, Rachel, was killed that day. She, I I don't know, she's the symbol of forgiveness, I guess, in all of this, because she sat down and she'll tell us about her conversation that she had with the mother of one of the shooters. Also, there's a great story about the principal at the time that day and why he waited so long to retire. We'll tell you all that coming up next. Also, your chance at $1,000. Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. With $1,000. Here's how you can win it. Win $1,000 right now. Text the nationwide keyword income, I-N-C-O-M-E, to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's income to 200-200. Got to pick up that phone to pick up 1000 bucks. Another chance an hour from now during the John and Ken Show, all the way through the first hour of the Conway Show. We give away 1000 bucks. I'm talking about Columbine 20 years later, and it's 20 years later that Dawn still saves a seat for her daughter, Lauren, when she goes to the movies knowing full well that she won't show. Tom Mauser literally walks in the size 10 and a half shoes his murdered son, Daniel, once wore. And Frank DeAngelis, his morning mantra consists of reciting the names of 12 students and a teacher he will never see again. Those kids walked in my school at 7 a.m. Mr. Sanders walked in and they never returned home. And that's something I have to live with for the rest of my life. But I made a promise there's nothing I can do to bring back the 13. But I'm not going to allow them to die in vain. And each morning when I awake, I wake 
by reciting the names of my beloved 13. He was principal that day on April 20th, 1999, and he waited until 2014 to retire because he said he felt a moral obligation to stay until those who were in elementary school at the time of the shooting graduated high school. One of the other things is that he saw some of those students that were there that day come back as teachers. Christopher Welch, Noel Sudano, Zach Martin, and Amanda Cook were all students at Columbine High School and have all gone back to the campus to be teachers. And it truly is like home. Everybody just checks up on each other. I think if you had asked me as a senior, I would have said, yeah, I'm never coming back. But um, to find meaning and purpose out of a tragedy and not let it break you is, is really powerful. And the fact that I'm a teacher at all is because of Columbine. So how I model myself in the classroom is based off 1999. Now, one of the one of the amazing stories that I saw out of, you know, 20 years later was the mother of Rachel Scott, one of the girls who was killed, Beth Scott. Beth Scott talked about forgiveness and what that meant to forgive the people who did this. And one of the hardest things that she said she had to do or she thought she should do was meet with the mother of one of the shooters, Sue Klebold. We both lost our children, but she had all the shame, the reproach, the hate. I asked the Lord, I said, what am I supposed to say to this mother? And the Lord said, ask her who her son was before April the 20th of 1999. And I did, and tears just rolled down Sue's cheeks. She said, nobody wants to know anything about my little boy that I raised. And I just, I saw a mother's heart. And I had that same feeling for Rachel. I don't know how you do that. God is how you do that. Faith and and a belief in God get you through a, a, a lot, get people through a lot the unimaginable tragedy of losing a child and to come to uh, a forgiveness. And it wasn't his mother. It wasn't Dylan's mother that is to blame for this. No. And but, she probably had just, I mean, like like Beth said, not only did she have the loss of, of her child that day, she had to live with the idea that it was her child that caused all of that. Um. I was 26 years old and living and working in Seattle when this happened and flew to Denver that night, that same day, while there was still live coverage of what was going on, was on an airplane on my way to Denver and covered the story for the next few days, basically living out of the parking lot. I mean, I stayed with my wife's grandmother because she lived in the area, but 20, you know, 18, 20 hours a day, I was at the parking lot that's right next to the Columbine High School campus. And one of the weird things that I was able to do, I had more hair back then, but I was only eight years out of high school. So it was easy for me to walk around and sort of blend in with uh, with some of the kids that were that was became the main gathering spot. And if you've seen any of the coverage of from 20 years ago, there was a massive turned out to be just a mound of memorials, makeshift memorials and balloons and bouquets and flowers and cards and everything that was written, that that was where it it ended up was in this park. So I could walk around and talk to people without the microphone and get 100% real reaction to what was going on. But the moment you take out a microphone and say, hey, how you feeling? Everybody changes. Everybody got a very different attitude towards it. Remember the boy that was trying to get out from the window? Yeah. 
Patrick Ireland was his name, and he spoke last month in Houston at the National Summit on School Safety. This was a conference uh, for school security officials and administrators. It was organized by two moms who lost kids in the Sandy Hook massacre. And he told the audience about that day. He said, I was shot twice in the head, once in the foot. My head came above that library table just an inch or two. Buckshot from the sawed-off shotgun penetrated my skull, traveling through the left hemisphere of my brain, paralyzing me on the right side, impacting my ability to see clearly. No mobility on my right side. So I rolled on over to my back, began to push myself with my one good leg for the arduous journey to the nearest exit. The nearest exit was a shot-out second-story window. He says it took nearly three hours to crawl the nearly 50 feet from where I was shot to that window. And I finally built up enough strength to hoist myself, push myself up that window, flip over. And that's when he saw the members of the SWAT team beneath him. But I remember that image of it. It looked like a lifeless body, like there was 10 percent of life in that body. And completely out of control of his limbs. He went on to graduate. He was valedictorian. He's 37. He has three kids. And he says he's had some conversations with his oldest daughter because she's asked questions like, Daddy, what happened? Why do you wear that brace? Why do you walk with a limp? So they've had to have those conversations. The library, by the way, where most of those kids died, gone. Yeah. I mean, it's it had to have the been. campus is still there. They've changed some of the footprint of the school itself, including getting rid of that library. Uh, all right. That was uh, 20 years ago tomorrow is the anniversary. We're going to lighten things up. we got nine news nuggets you need to know when we come back, and some of these are unbelievable. Gary and Shannon. I wish you would step back from that ledge, my friend. I've got some boat tickets. Four pack of tickets to the Newport Beach Boat Show. Love that place. Happening April 25th to 28th at Lido Marina Village. The Newport Beach Boat Show is the West's oldest and biggest yacht show. You can spend the day touring some of the biggest, finest yachts, free off-site parking and shuttle service for all the information, of course, and to purchase tickets. Visit NewportBeachBoatShow.com. Be caller number three. Oh, look at you. Right now and win a four-pack of tickets. 1-800-520-1KFI. 1-800-520-1534. Yeah, it's time to call. Come on, it's time time to call. call. Let's call. Yeah. Every Friday now at 1.30, we like to dive into our nine news nuggets you need to know. And these are the stories that, for some reason, just kind of fell by the the wayside, went through the cracks this week because we had so much other stuff to talk about. But these are the... These are the good ones, and a lot of these are the ones that make us really happy. We always start with our honorable mention. Honorable mention. Not supposed to mention. I was going to mention it when the time was right. It's network policy not to mention it. It's been an honor serving with you all. Didn't I mention it? What an honor it is. Great and honorable Moses. So today we're holding auditions to become the newest member of Honorable Mention. What do you think of... Thieves, you think they're stealing what? Cars, valuables, inside cars. Drugs. Drugs, breaking into houses, stealing jewelry. Well, cooking oil is the new hotness. Cooking oil? Yes. It can be used to make fuel. There's been a run-up in biodiesel prices in the past couple of years, and these thieves that are stealing cooking grease 
can make now up to $10,000 a night. The National Renderers Association, please never invite me to that that convention. Bless you. The National Renderers Association says about $75 million worth of old cooking grease is stolen each year. You want to get into the business? How about this? You get a junker truck, you buy a 275-gallon container at a tractor supply store and a pump, and you're in business. Uh, number nine. I did nine plays if a cop's dirty nine times out of ten, his partner's dirty too. And I speak nine languages. I stay up till nine o'clock. Basically everybody at table nine. I feel ready to go another nine in. Niner. Did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? Oh, he's a good boy. Such a feel-good number nine nugget. You're a good boy. Last Friday, there were workers on a Chevron oil rig in Thailand. They were about a 135 miles from the coast. And that's when they found a, good boy. a lost dog swimming in the ocean. He's a good boy. The pup was shivering. He was clinging desperately to the bottom of the rig. Who's a cold little boy? The crew tried for 15 minutes to get a loop around his neck. They managed to grab him just as the seas were becoming rougher. Ooh, who's a wet little boy? He was given water and pieces of meat. They called him Boon Rod. Boon Rod! Which is a Thai phrase for those survivors who benefit from good karma. Good little boy. Boon Rod. Boon Rod, they think, probably didn't swim 115 or 130 miles out to the... No? Uh, no, they said they probably fell off of a fishing trawler. Which he makes Boon Rod a bad boy. He doesn't have a permanent family just yet. Oh, he will. He will. Sounded nefarious. Ominous. Oh, he will. We can do that dog. A child is born every eight seconds. Listening to eight different bosses drone on about mission statements. Uh, Stop. First of all, I cannot imagine digging anywhere in Nevada. Doesn't it seem like that would just be hard packed dirt? Yes. There is a guy who was arrested a couple of years ago for attempting to find buried treasure in Pahrump, Nevada, has been arrested doing it again. Once you've got your mind on buried treasure, as we all learned in the cartoons, it's hard to get your mind off said treasure, is it not? Well, the uh, the guy who owned the Binion fortune, Ted Binion, was the son of the con- casino owner. I Ted- love Binions. Ted is uh, Benny's son, and Ted died more than 20 years ago under some suspicious circumstances. You can found, lose days in Binions. Found in Vegas, and his stripper girlfriend uh, and her level, or lover were arrested for his murder. But there was a story about how he had hired a contractor to help him construct a vault in Pahrump where he hid six tons of silver bullion, casino chips, paper money, and 100,000 coins anywhere between 7 and $14 million dollars. So there were a couple men who tried to dig up a vault off of Highway 160 way back in 1998. And then apparently they continued to search for the actual the actual money and coins, etc., that this guy buried in treasure. So um, stop doing that, please. Yeah, everyone needs a goal. The seventh son of the seventh son. We're on for seven days. With the government. Sector 7. Guy 7. 7 a.m. Seven years of college down the drain. Seven. 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 Seven days. Everybody hates baggage fees. Do we not? 
The airlines are getting crazy with these. Well, one woman was trying to escape an 85-year-old, I'm sorry, $85 baggage fee. She's 30 years old. Her name's Natalie. And she was headed to an all-inclusive vacation. She it was from Manchester, England, England. And she decided that she was going to wear all the clothes in her bag. Nine pounds of clothes in order to avoid that $85 baggage fee. Seven dresses, two pairs of shoes, two pairs of shorts, a skirt, a cardigan. Where was she going? An all-inclusive vacation. They go to places like Cancun. Could you imagine walking out of an airplane in in April in Cancun with nine pounds of clothing on? Oh, that's clever. No, it's not clever. Oh. Here's number six. Not clever. Not clever. He's a good boy. I got six, you got six, she got six. Uh, number six. Dude, there's six more weeks of winter. Why do you have a picture of me, a rabbi, and six drunken longshoremen? Why don't we just stick her in a nursing home closer to us so I don't have to drive six hours? Drink another six-pack. Number six. Day jobs. Sometimes people need day jobs. Steve Rappel of Weston. I believe that's also England. Uh, maybe not. But Steve Rappel needs a day job, whatever. He watched... Captain Marvel 116 times to break the Guinness World Record. Oh, boy. That's 116 more times than you have seen it. Weston, Florida. Weston, Florida. Oh, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. This is one of Monica's people. He said he had to have certain pictures taken in front of a movie poster, two written witness statements saying he was actually there. He's also got four previous Guinness records to his name, running a half marathon while wearing the most number of shirts. And the fastest time to drink one liter of gravy. Oh, God. Gravy? Jesus, Mary and Joseph. <laughs> if you're right. interested, God. the, the <laughs> record time foul. for drinking one liter of gravy, one minute, 12 no. and a half seconds. No. <laughs> so much salt. God. All right, get out your dipping sauces. We've got more nuggets to go when we come back. God, don't impress me much. So, yeah, got the Don't impress me. Gary and Shannon. Man, that was the last song that, that adequately used a cowbell thing. <laughs> She's the last person I know to have used a cowbell. Uh, I feel like there was one recently involving a cowbell. We're in the middle of our nine news nuggets you need to know. The stories that kind of fell through the cracks, and here's number five. For five minutes! I have five rules. We begin bombing in five minutes. Five little monkeys. This is the year 5.5. Do me a favor and lose five pounds immediately. Oh no, it was our show. Our show has the cowbell in it. The bonus bell. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, early Sunday morning, nine one one call goes to uh, to dispatch, and a little voice on the other side says, "Can you bring me McDonald's?" And the dispatcher says, "I'm sorry, state your emergency again." Can you bring me McDonald's? Uh, and the dispatcher says, sorry, buddy, I can't bring you McDonald's, but what we're going to do is have one of our police officers come by just to make sure that everybody's okay. It turns out that the the police officer, Dan Patterson, was going to go check on the welfare of this kid because you never know why kids call 911. Sometimes it's just because they want McDonald's. He stopped by McDonald's and got the kid McDonald's. 
That is the best officer ever. Turns out that the kid had called 911 on a cell phone that grandma deactivated a long time ago. She didn't know that a preschooler like this or kindergartner could then hook that phone up to Wi-Fi and still make an actual emergency call on it. Haven't we all been there before where we need McDonald's so badly that we're willing to No. No, we've never called 911 for that. Four minutes! He's probably on his fourth tranquilizer by now. Commandment number four! There goes the fourth amendment. This isn't the same world you left four years ago, sir. Oh, Florida. Florida. There was a man who burglarized a Little League concession stand. Again, didn't we all do this? No. Oh. You You never broke... from a Little League? (laughs) Well... Uh, they used to sell these, those, those, uh... Chico sticks. Yeah, but the ones with the plastic. Oh, you mean the... the big ones? The big pixie sticks. Yeah, pixie sticks, yes. but they were plastic, yeah. and the diameter was much bigger than right. the usual pixie sticks. you imagine sticks. the turtle that would get stuck in either... And uh, those in the kids nose? on the court where I grew up, yeah. we would, uh, we would climb the, the, con- the, the concession stand, and we would break in and steal a couple of those. No, we would never do that in my neighborhood. Oh, well, we did where that. Where the hell you grew up? Pinellas County Sheriff says this naked burglar struck the stand at Fisher Field in Dunedin almost two weeks ago. So we never did it naked. Right. He stole cameras and a cash box with 250 bucks inside. They said he caused $5,000 in damage and showed that he was naked while holding a pack of hot dogs. The Pixie Six were like 50 cents a pop. And the cops go, ah, a deal. I thought those hot dog packs only came in 10. For some reason, there's 11 in that one. Three shall be the number thou shalt count. And the number of the counting shall be three. They were dead within three hours. Three. We're, we're doing uh, clearance level three. Jokes. Penis all jokes three. around here? Three. I this got all three, you guys. This is Petros and Money. Alive. After about three. three days, they both start to stink. Three. Oh, kindergarten in China must be fun. If you uh, if you go to Xinxiao Hui yeah. Kindergarten in Shenzhen, get it in Guangdong. The best way to welcome kids back to school is with the female pole dancer. Performing on the flagpole outside, out in front of school. Well, the principal thought this was a great idea. Well, of course the principal did. Uh, He's been fired. Oh. Because apparently pole dancers aren't a thing that they want happening for kindergartners. Okay. Oh, boy. What's going on, you two? Pick out two fingers. One, two. There are two people in this house. There's two sons and no women. Two ringy-dingy. You know, I'm going to let you take this one. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. I was waiting for you to start. The founder of a nonprofit group called Flutes Across the World, charged with committing lewd acts against girls here in California, John Zaretsky, the guy from Ventura, indicted by a grand jury in Orange County charges that involving five girls. But remember, this is the guy who... He was... He was putting gender fluid inside those little flutes that were then supposed to be sent around the world for... School children. Ugh. Gross. We're number one. You're a number one. We're number one, Ben. That's all that counts. I decided to look out for number one. Are you the number one? <laughs> Row number one. Number one. Uh, number one. Hey, remember that guy we told you about who forced the flight crew to wipe his bum as he moaned with pleasure? He was like 260-pound dude in a wheelchair. Couldn't couldn't do the business himself. And yeah, so the flight attendants were forced into action. See, I don't think that's a job for a flight attendant. No. When you sign up for flight attendant 
C. C. Yes. Under the list of tasks, yeah. it should not be white man's a- bottoms. Bottom. No, not in any case. Well, he's died. What? At a resort in Thailand famed for prostitution. Those poor women. Those poor people. Good Lord. You know what? Can we do something nice to end the show? Hey, <laughs> Friday, a week from today, we're going to be live at Wolf Creek Brewing Company. We're going to be out at the brewery and tasting room out in uh, the Rye Canyon Loop there in Santa Clarita. Come on out. Say hi. We'll be doing the show live from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. They'll have some food trucks out there, some great new beers that they have on tap that they'll share with you. Um, for more information, you can go onto our social media, at Gary and Shannon. You can also log on to KFIAM640.com, use the keyword gas, or onto the Wolf Creek uh, Restaurant and Brewing Company website, WolfCreekBrewingCo.com. You're still looking for a place to go for Easter, maybe. They're taking, uh, they're taking Easter reservations on that website. Again, news and brews a week from today, Wolf Creek Brewery out in Santa Clarita. We'll see you Monday. John and Ken up next. Stay dry, everybody. Blessings. Oh, goodbye. Gary and Shannon.